You are now listening to Beat the Press with Matt Lombardo and Teron Devonport. Welcome into episode five of the Beat the Press podcast. I'm Matt Lombardo of NJ.com and 97.5 The Fanatic. And as always, the man to my left, the man, the myth, the legend from USA Today, the EaglesWire.com. Teron Davenport joins me. And of course, Teron, we're sitting here during that down period between mandatory minicamp and training camp beginning at the end of July, early August, that six-week gap in the calendar year where, for whatever reason, the NFL has yet to find a way to fill it with football. But that doesn't mean that we can't have a very productive and entertaining conversation about a very important aspect of this Philadelphia Eagles football team. No doubt about it. This is the time when you have to get creative and you have to look at some things kind of outside of the box. And I think that's what we're about to do today because just in the practices that we've watched and in my short time here covering the Eagles, I've noticed the coaching staff. And obviously this is a new coaching staff, so it's new to you also. Yep. But I've just noticed some things about this staff that I really like. So we'll definitely get into that. And obviously when we look at this coaching staff, and that's where I think we should really focus the focus this show today on, is just looking at this Eagles coaching staff. And obviously, as you pointed out, it's a whole new staff around Doug Peterson. Certainly some holdovers mm-hmm. from a year ago with Chip Kelly in the form of Stoutland, in the form of Underland, and the form of Deuce Staley and a couple of others, but you look at what the Eagles did in building this staff, and in a lot of ways, it was genius what this team did during the offseason around Doug Peterson. Whether or not he was their first choice or not, we can debate until the cows come home, and that's probably a different show for a different day. (laughs) But once Peterson was the head coach, you look at the two coordinators in Frank Reich on offense and Jim Schwartz on defense, very experienced and in the form of Schwartz, a former head coach. So Peterson has an easy transition from being a quarterback coach, a coordinator, to his first head coaching job as easy as that jump can be at the NFL level. Well, I like how you mentioned Jim Schwartz and his previous head coaching experience because one of the, the major things as, as a head coach and what always happens is you tend to get so focused on your specialty. Chip Kelly was focused on the offense. Yep. Lovey Smith was focused on the defense yep. with, with the Bucks and with the Brown, uh, Bears, etc. So when you look at uh, Peterson now – he got Jim Schwartz. One of the things you have to do is learn how to oversee everything. And as a head coach, that's what you are. You're an overseer. So you have to make sure that the, the plan is correct. I'm not talking about the game plan. Right. I'm talking about the practice plan. And the organizational philosophy the or- has to right. be in place from the head coach on down. You're almost if you're you're a CEO or a figurehead that's of an organization. Yep. Yeah. So you have to make sure that everything is order, is in order and everything's in place. And that's one of the things that is difficult to do for the first time. So when you have somebody that you could bounce stuff off of, such as Coach Schwartz, now that helps a, a, a whole lot. And you saw how smoothly the practices ran. Yep. You saw how much energy was coming from pretty much all the coaches and how that transferred to the players. This team is a lot more upbeat than a few of the other teams that, that I've seen, especially at this point. I mean, when you have a, a brand-new coach instead, there's always that filling-out period. You're not seeing that as much with them as far as in the limited practices that we Sure, seen. and we'll get a much bigger feel for this coaching staff during training camp and the preseason when you're actually playing games. But just from a structure standpoint mm-hmm. to Ron, you can have Doug Peterson have the headset on where he's going to be involved in the play calling with Frank Reich 
but at the same time, you kind of take the keys to the Maserati of a defense and you flip it yeah. to Jim Schwartz and you let him put together that defensive game plan. And one of the things I found rather fascinating was the fact that Doug Peterson still wants to communicate with Jim Schwartz on the sideline, on the headset. So it's not as if he's divorcing himself from that side of the football, which in a lot of ways is how Chip Kelly operated. But you have that head coach of the defense, that head coach of the offense, with Peterson also having that figurehead mentality of monitoring the whole thing. And I think it's really interesting because you can only have so many channels on, on the headphones. Yep. And, and he talked to us about this. Yep. And just the idea that he was willing to have Frank Wright be the one that's going to communicate with the quarterback as yep. opposed to Peterson directly so that he could leave that channel open to talk to Jim Schwartz. So I, that was a good point you brought up. Yep. No, and on the offensive side of the ball, Frank Reich has a lot of experience both playing in the NFL yes. as a quarterback, but as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. And then John Dave Filippo, the quarterback coach, we talked about a lot of this, you and I, in Chicago in the run-up to the NFL draft. I've talked about it on my show on 97.5 The Fanatic. I've written about it on NJ.com, as you have, Teron, on the Eagles wire. But you look at what the Eagles did in terms of building their offensive coaching staff, and mm -hmm. it's, it's clear as day that this team was looking to draft a rookie quarterback this year because you brought in Doug Peterson, former quarterback, as a head coach. You brought in Frank Reich, former quarterback as an offensive coordinator, and you hired John Filippo as your quarterback coach who played the position in the NFL. He's a guy that is coached at James Madison. And then as if that weren't enough experience at the quarterback spot, Teron, before you went ahead and re-signed Sam Bradford, before you went ahead and drafted Carson Wentz after you moved up to get him in a two-pronged trade step to get to number two, you also signed Chase Daniel as a backup quarterback. And Chase Daniel, if nothing else, is a third offensive coach, a second quarterback coach because he knows the system. So the foundation between a former head coach as your defensive coordinator and three former quarterbacks on your coaching staff at high-level positions makes this as easy a transition as you're ever going to see for a quarterback in Carson Wentz who has a bright mind to pick up the offense, but a coaching staff that seems very prepared to instill that offense and that system in him. Yeah, it's almost like a quarterback incubator. That, yeah. That's what you have set up here with Peterson, with Wright, and Coach Flip. And one of the things that you have to look at is just – how much of a match Carson Wentz is for this this team. This is a guy that has executed very similar concepts at North Dakota State. I thought Ben Roethlisberger, his points about Carson Wentz, it was really interesting because Roethlisberger went on to talk about how a lot of the spread offenses in college football are actually ill-preparing these quarterbacks to go to the NFL. He said, well, wait a minute. Even though he went to a small school, Carson Wentz, that is, he's almost more prepared to play in the league than a lot of these spread guys. Because so I thought it's more that was of a pro style. Exactly, yep. more of a pro style. So you take that and you look at just the way that things are set up for him here. It's all the table is placed because they're going to be able to accent the intelligence that he has. He's he's said it numerous times. Brad, Bradford even said it. Right. How it's nice to have a guy at your position, coach that has seen what you're seeing and can understand what's going on and why you may have made this read and 
why you're supposed to make that read. So it's it's the experience is so key. And that tends to happen as position coaches where you'll have a former quarterback coaching the quarterback position or in the case of Andy Reid, a former offensive lineman coaching quarterbacks who's in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball. But it's not just the quarterback coach. It's the coordinator and the head coach, which is a very unique situation as far as coaching staff goes. And I think that, Teron, you just put it perfectly. It is a quarterback incubator, and it's not just for Carson. Wentz, but it's also for this year and maybe next year, even though I think the the Eagles are going to cash in Sam Bradford as a trade asset next season. But for this year, you're preparing your quarterbacks to adapt to a new offense in the best possible way because you have three voices who have played the position, four if you count Chase Daniel, to put that system into place. Right. In addition to that, you have to look at the terminology. West Coast offense, I mean, have you heard John Gruden? have one of the guys on the QB camp call one of the play. It's These so much plays, different than Chip Kelly who oh, says orange, and it's a yeah. halfback sweep to the right. Oh, man, you, you got bandit right, blue draw, X, yo-yo, Y, seam. Huh? Right. You have to remember all that. And I, I think watching these guys, Bradford, Chase Daniel, obviously, Carson Wentz, they're getting in and out of the huddle, right? Yep. It's so yep. important to do that because unlike the previous offense, you could go to the line and make changes. So you need to get it in and out of that huddle and get to the line so you can see what's going on and make those adjustments. In order to do that, you have to have the terminology down. They are getting the plays called and, and everything like that very smoothly, and you're not having those those hangups that can sometimes happen when you're instituting a new offense, a wordy offense like this. So it's just set up so well for all three of these guys. Obviously, Daniel is is well versed in it, and Daniel was such a a, a cushion for for them because he could help the the quarterbacks. Hey, listen, you know what? You guys probably used to call it this way, right? But what he's especially saying Bradford, is, this, is this, especially Bradford, exactly. So there's a excellent uh, point about how important Daniel is not only as a backup but as a coach on the field, right? He's essentially another coach. And you, you talk about Dave Filippo. This isn't his first rodeo developing a rookie quarterback, Derek Carr, who many believe to be among, if not already, they're about to become one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. His rookie season was under DeFilippo, and he wound up in 2004 with 3,270 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, and his 348 completions are the second most by an NFL rookie in league history. So a lot of that is a testament to Carr and his inherent ability, but you can't overlook the fact that it was DeFilippo who was his position coach, and you have that same thing in place with Carson Wentz. And you even look at the Browns last year. Yeah. I mean, that defense was ridiculous. You know, it was very bad. But they scored a point. I saw them firsthand, man. They they lit the Ravens up, man. And just what he was able to do with Josh McCown, hey, I mean, Josh McCown had traveled to numerous places, and he found success that, that one year with, I believe it was with the Bears, right? But then yep. he went to the Bucks, and things didn't work out. Found success again with the Browns. So I think – when you look at D. Filippo, this is a guy that understands how to get a quarterback going quickly and in this West Coast scheme. So it's, it's once again, a, a perfect match for this, this team. And, of course, if you move along to the running back coach, it's Deuce Staley, who everybody knows him from his playing days in Philadelphia, but he was here 
on Chip Kelly's coaching staff. He was the running back coach last year. Prior to that, he was special teams quality control. And and you look at Deuce, and, and whether we want to cynically say that the Eagles interviewed him to satisfy the Rooney rule when they were in their head coaching search, or we believe the fact that they think so highly of him that he's going to ultimately one day, in their opinion, develop into a head coach. I think the one thing that we've witnessed firsthand when it comes to Deuce Staley is he relates to these players mm-hmm. because he's a yes. former player, not all that far removed from his playing career, only retiring in 2006. I mean, that's 10 years ago, but in, in the grand scheme of when a coach last played the game, 10 years is the blink of an eye. And he's been around the locker rooms ever since as a member of various coaching staffs, both under Andy Reid's watch and Chip Kelly's watch. So at bare minimum, Deuce Staley can be a liaison from Doug Peterson to the rest of this team. And he's talked about the fact that he he loves the relationship of having a connection to his players. This is Peterson, which is a lot different than Chip Kelly. But Deuce serves as that liaison. And for all we know to Ron, they might be telling us at face value that they believe he could ultimately be a head coach one day. That that That's a great asset to have on this staff. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You could always tell your big brother things that you can't necessarily tell your pops. Things, right. Right. So Deuce in this situation is, is the big brother, so to speak. He's the guy, as you mentioned, a, a liaison be- between the two. So you look at just the relationship. Take Wendell Smallwood, for example. This is a young man. He's had some issues in the past, but you know what? He's come in and been nothing but a class act. And a part of that is because he's got a mentor in in Deuce Staley. He said it. Even if he wasn't a part of this organization, he still would have a relationship with Deuce. That says a lot about Coach Staley. And especially a kid like Wendell Smallwood, who's been here for a cup of coffee, that that he would still have a relationship with Deuce Staley at that point. But we've been in the locker room and – you know, all through the mini camp and all through the OTAs in this spring, two coaches, and we'll get to Corey Underland, the defensive backs coach, a little bit later on, but it's been Corey Underland and Deuce Staley who you see in that locker room the most. Mm-hmm. And it's not just interacting with, with their players. And Corey Underland will go around and he'll drop off game notes or practice yeah. notes or, or tell guys they need to download this to the iPad for the playbook. But you see him also joking around with other players on defense. Deuce Staley seems like he has that genuine relationship, that big brother relationship, if you will, to go into the locker room and, and just kind of rub elbows mm-hmm. with the players and be that coach who is not if he's a liaison to Deuce Staley to excuse me Doug Peterson is one thing but somebody who legitimately seems to have a relationship with the players in that room yeah and I think what's really remarkable is how he's able to find the balance now again this is early you know I'm, sure. I'm talking about you, you know a month a or two of, of observations but I'm finding that he's able to find that balance where he could be a, a friend with them, but that understanding, hey, you're the player, I'm the coach. Right. What I say is, is what we're going to do is there. And getting back to the part you said about the head coach side of things, one of the things that you always have to – what do we talk about initially, right? We talked about having to oversee numerous yep. things. Yep. Well, before Deuce became the running backs coach, he was special teams coach. You know, quality control. So you even see that now when you're at practice, pre-practice, when they're working the specialists, every guy, whether it be Aguilar, Jordan Matthews, Darren Sproul, they're they're catching punts. But who's right there saying, hey, listen, you know what? You got to make sure you look it all the way in. Right. So 
you're seeing this guy get two of the three facets of this game under control in special teams and obviously offense. He played the position. And it's interesting you point that out because every day when they're going through special teams drills or at the start of practice where it's it's the specialist fielding the punts and the kickoffs, you're right, Teron. He's He's right right there. Right there. And I, that speaks volumes just about his ability to, to really adapt and, and get himself ready to eventually be a head coach if that's something that's going to happen in the future. And at the wide receiver spot is Greg <laughs> Lewis. And this is one of the more intriguing hires that the Eagles made this offseason because if you think back to Dave Phipp, who was here a year ago as the wide receiver coach, much maligned and a guy that, 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 that didn't exactly – have his message translate to the players and you saw a lot of drop passes and and the wide receiving core you can say as much as they were young one of the more disappointing units on this team I feel like you're already starting to see a different attitude with these receivers and and a lot of that comes back to Greg Lewis and and what he's been teaching these guys and the experience of playing in a Super Bowl and catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl that that he can really bring to the players on this team. Greg Lewis, you want to you wanna get any of the Eagles receivers to smile? You want to get any of them to talk to you for a while? Mention Coach Lewis. Yeah. They, yeah. Will, they light up. And even Nelson Aguilar. Aguilar went, you know, I asked him about Coach Lewis, and he spoke at length about him. And that was actually a bulk of the information I got in the article right. I did about Coach Lewis on the Eagles wire. So just – also in Jordan Matthews, you know, he again, it goes back to understanding, being in that situation, understanding, okay, yeah, you know what, the the DB is, is in, my, in my pocket, I want to cut the route short, I can't. And I understand I can't because Coach Lewis has been there and done that. Right. And knows, hey, look, you know, you're going to want to cut the route short, but understand you have to flatten it out and, and get your depth because Sam is throwing to a spot. And – he just helps the guys understand it. They're catching the football thing. When I talked to him, the first thing he said, confidence. These guys have to understand that there's a reason why they're here. They can yep. catch the football. They need to be confident. And that confidence comes in, in all, all facets of playing the position. You look at the, the West Coast offense. You have so many slants and short routes. Well, what do you have to do on, on the slants? I mean, I was watching the Chiefs, a lot of the Chiefs film uh, – Last year, you know, under right. Doug Peterson, yep. I tell you one of the things they did very frequently. They run attack, that slant. They run that slant. They attack that middle of the field. And in order to get those yards after the catch, you have to have the confidence to run through the catch. Jordan Matthews and I had a very good conversation about that, and it's it's so true. You have to be confident enough to catch the ball with your hands, tuck it, and go. Greg Lewis is instilling that confidence in these guys. You watch him work hands-on. I mean, they're – are many times where when a play is done, he will actually call the receiver over to him and run the route for them and tell them exactly how he wants them to run it. So you got to give Greg Lewis his props. I mean, the the jugs, you know, working with the tennis balls, catching the tennis balls off of the jugs, something that Doug Peterson – instituted and you remember he he said that so and you see Jordan Matthews I don't know if you're on Snapchat but Jordan Matthews in his workout play routine in the offseason back at home in Vanderbilt or wherever he is he's catching balls off the jugs machine mm-hmm. with the tennis balls bouncing the tennis balls off the wall and catching them having somebody throw them at him obviously drills that Greg Lewis has instituted and, and Tron, let me ask you this because you're a former player you played the position 
How important is it? And obviously the connection that Doug Peterson has when he was an assistant coach during Greg Lewis's playing career in Philadelphia, those two have previous ties together. But it's interesting to me when you think about Doug Peterson, when you think about Deuce Staley, when you think about Greg Lewis, when you think about Tim Houck, when you look at those four coaches, they've all played in Philadelphia as a member of this Eagles organization. How much does that matter? Because I think that Obviously, Jeffrey Lurie in hiring Peterson this offseason went back to the blueprint and the mentality of, hey, these were, we're going back to 1999. We're partying like it's 1999, if you will. We're going back to the Andy Reid plan. But it also seems as if they're inviting and wrapping their arms around former players mm-hmm. within the organization who have begun their coaching career. How much does that matter to a player that not only that they played the game or played the position, but they played it here? Does it matter at all? Or, or is it something that guys are going to pay a little bit special and extra attention to a guy who has worn the same uniform they have? I think it matters 100%. Yeah. And you look at the guys that have played. These are all, I mean, I struggle to find a guy that was tougher than Deuce Staley that put an Eagles uniform on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you're going to mention Brian Dawkins for sure. But I'm just, just, I struggle to find five guys. Yeah. Right? Greg Lewis. I'm bigger than Greg Lewis. I'm six feet, 192. You know what I mean? He wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the fastest guy. Well, he corrected me and told me that he was the (laughs) fastest guy on the team back then, but that's a different conversation. But more importantly, these are guys that all worked hard. Tim Hawk, you know, not the most ability, 122 tackles. Lunch pail guy. Lunch pail guy. It takes a certain type of mentality, a certain type of player to relate to these Eagles fans. These yeah. Eagles fans are, are hardworking, down to the bone of, of your knuckles type of people, and they appreciate when they see somebody else work hard. See, so, I think that we make sometimes we make too much of this that we need a guy that can relate to Philadelphia, whether it's the head coach or whatever. But it is interesting that they've gone that extra mile, and they seem to think that it's that important. And it might just be a, a guttural reaction to Chip Kelly not relating to these fans and then it going sour so quickly. But they've made a concerted effort to take on that quote-unquote Philadelphia feel to things. It takes a certain psyche yeah, to excel in, in, this, in this place. It, you can't be soft. You're not going to make it. You it yeah. Just simply put. Can't be so, glitz and glitter either. And I think that Chip right. Kelly you is probably know, better suited for Silicon Valley. You have to know how to balance that. Yeah, he's definitely in, And we'll have Chris Biederman on at some point soon to talk about sure. that. But you have to have that hard worker mentality to be able to excel in this city. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And I don't care if it's baseball. I don't care if it's hockey, track, arena football. You cannot go out there. Jimmy Rollins still gets credit for not running out that – that that uh, yeah. that play right yeah he still he still he's gets still an example for that yeah you know what I mean so Allen Iverson is a guy this city fell in love with why because he gave it his all every time and yep. it was clear he did so I, I think they're making a concerted effort to to get guys who not only played in Philadelphia but were guys that that gave it their all and and you could see it from the different guys if you go back and watch them play what do you make of jeff stoutland a holdover from the chip kelly regime being brought back obviously a well-respected offensive line coach put together a a great program at alabama coaching under nick saban and had a lot of success in the college game through his career but if you think back to last year toronto and you 
you've been doing a lot of fantastic work breaking down the All-22s, but you look back to last year and the regression from a Jason Kelsey. You look at Jason Peters, who seemed to age five years as a player before our eyes last year. I was personally a little surprised that the Eagles retained Jeff Stoutland rather than going in a different direction because that's a system that it seems as though his philosophy, at least what he did a year ago, seemed to be so intricately tied to what Chip Kelly did, and it didn't seem to fit the personnel. But are you at all surprised that Stoutland is back and they didn't go in a different direction? I'm not really surprised that he's back. Just looking at what he did at Alabama, I mean, for that time that he was there, man, that that school was known for producing horses. Absolutely. (laughs) On on the offensive line. But when you talk about Jason uh, Peters, when you talk about Kelsey, I I think really the problem was from the top. Yeah. And this goes back to why it's so important to relate to your players, why it's so important to make those emotional deposits. You want somebody to run through the wall for you? Hey, you have to be interested in, hey, look, how's your wife doing? Right. How's this? And that, and that apparently was not what they had. No, it wasn't under at all. Chip Kelly. So I, I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, if things don't work out, hey, you know, Doug Peterson's going to have to do what he ha- he's going to have to do. But you also look at one of the other things that they did compliment this offensive line with coach chung big time big time so when you look at coach chung i mean this is a guy who you look at what he did with the chiefs i mean they did not exactly have the 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 best talent there you know you you had brandon albert there for a period of time you you look at uh eric fisher first round pick at left tackle didn't work out they flipped him to right they've used him at guard as well. And another guy who has prior experience working with Doug Peterson. Exactly, exactly. And Juan Castillo, Howard Mudd. I mean, once again, you're, you're playing back on, on that Philadelphia roots. Yep. So more importantly, you also he's a former player. He played at a high level. And that's something you'll see consistently with this coaching staff. A lot of these guys played either at a high-level college. Or at the NFL. Or in the NFL. Yeah. Chung, he, he played at, at Virginia Tech. You know, and he played the position. I think that's so important. When you have a guy that played your position, it's it's, it's so much better because – and, I mean, I, I I played for a guy that didn't play the position. Right. I played for a guy that did. I'm going to tell you, a lot of the nuances that I learned and, and small things that allowed a 4-5 guy to, to get open – 4-5-5 five, five guy to get open came from – my coach, Coach position. Mason, that played yeah. the position. So you learn a lot. I think the value of having played the position and being able to pass those things down is definitely underrated. So I think that's something coming from Coach Chung that, that really will benefit these guys. Oh, I think it's absolutely huge, and especially when you, you talk to, to guys like Jordan Matthews and you talk to, to, to people on this team and even you know some of the other players and the quarterbacks especially rave about this. They echo your sentiments to Ron that when you can go into a film room after practice and you're hearing what happened on the field, diagrammed, dissected, and analyzed by a former player that you, that played the same position as you did, it sinks in a little bit more for these guys. And then that's just another asset on this staff right now. Yeah, and even just you know looking over Coach Chung's bio here, he played in the league too. I didn't even realize that. In fact, he was the 13th overall pick. By the yeah. Patriots in 1992. Doesn't get much so, higher a level than that, does yeah. it? So it's definitely, if you're going to compliment your your coaching staff with a player, or, or a coach rather, how much better would it be to, to do it with a guy that was once a first-round pick? 
No doubt about it. And and obviously, when you look at the defensive side of the football, Teron, it's very difficult to address and discuss that side of the ball and that coaching staff without talking about Corey Undlin. And, and Corey Undlin was brought in here. He, he was on the staff a year ago as an, a, a, the defensive backs coach. And, and you just talked last year, and I know that Byron Maxwell didn't work out. I know that, you know, he, he's gone. But one of the things that Maxwell raved about, one of the things that certainly Malcolm Jenkins raved about, these guys loved playing for Corey Undlin. And you've seen it during the OTAs with this secondary at almost – wholly made over secondary with Jenkins returning, but bringing in Rodney McLeod as a free agent, bringing in, you know, guys like um, Ron Brooks and Leotis McKelvin as free agents, a holdover like Eric Rowe, a, a, a draft pick like Jalen Mills or Blake Countess. Everybody seems to love playing for Corey Undlin because technique and fundamentals are first and foremost with him. He's a stickler for those things. And on the practice field, he's not afraid to get in your grill as a defensive back and say, yo, Holmes, if you can't cover uh, Josh Huff, what are we going to do when you lined up against Des Bryant? Not afraid to make the correction right then and there. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Coach Undlin, and I just I smile because – I love the energy that he brings, yep. and, and I'm just sitting there on the sideline watching, and I'm vibing off of that energy. Jalen Mills said it, man. He he loves the energy also, and he loves just the way he's helped him understand what it is he has to do within the scheme, and it goes back to the confidence thing. We're going back to, to a lot of different things, so that means we're making good points. Sure. But it goes back to that confidence thing, you know, that, that Greg Lewis talked about with the receiver as a DB, especially a corner. Your confidence has to be on 100 times whatever. And that's what he's helping these guys develop, you know, in, in helping them. It, that one practice, it, it always, always, always is going to stand out to me. That one practice where they were inside, and I'm just watching the DBs, and I swear to you, they're working on, on rub routes. They're working on coming off your route and, and you know, going to – a different route and just how you're supposed to switch and things like that. They did it in practice yeah. in seven on seven and, and, and a team period. And they really, for a good portion of those periods, they shut the offense down and it just was really cool to see exactly what he worked on. Like as if he knew sure. that that's what they were going to do. Obviously he didn't, but it, he just to see the preparation show up. That quickly in practice, it it's this guy is he's a legit coach. I wonder how long the Eagles are going to be able to retain Corey Undlin because of his understanding of playing secondary and coaching the secondary in this league. And you look at his background; he coached linebackers at California Lutheran in 1998. He was a defensive coordinator at California Lutheran. He was a defensive assistant with the Patriots in 04. He's coached on the Cleveland Browns staff, coached on the Denver Broncos staff as a defensive quality control coach. I. I just wonder how long he's going to be a member of this coaching staff before he winds up taking a job somewhere as a defensive coordinator, taking that next step in his coaching career. Because when I watch him, I really do see a future coordinator or a future head coach. Without a doubt, I see a future coordinator or a head coach. And I, I tell you, honestly, he reminds me of Ed Donatel, who I will go on record and say is – what I would call probably the best defensive backs coach in the yeah. league right now. Yeah. I watched him work with the 49ers and he did a excellent job with guys like Ed Reed, Chris Culliver, 
uh, Tremaine Brock, you, you know, an undrafted free agent who became a starter that at one point had six interceptions to lead the NFL. So when you look at a guy like Corey Unlin, that also brings that that high demand for technique, that ability, that willingness to teach and, and help players understand what is happening and make them trust what they see. Because when you understand and trust, you play faster. Big time. If you're hesitating, hey, listen, you know, it looks like that dig route is about to open, but should I drop to the post or come to the – no, you don't have time for it. That's that. how you get beat over the top. You, that, you that's how you play. give up X plays. Yeah. So I, I think Unlin, you know, the only way that he will leave in, in the near future will be if, obviously, if they lost a guy like a Jim Schwartz who right. went on. Because right now – He's not really a known commodity in this league. So his secrecy, so to speak, is actually a good thing for this Eagles. And I don't want to sit here and and make him out to be Lombardi or make him out to be Parcells or make him out to be Belichick because you did give up way more X plays than you'd feel comfortable with over the last years at a historic pace over the top. And we can all sit here and say that the personnel up front wasn't cut out for the 3-4. We can all say that, well, Byron Maxwell was only here for one year, and obviously the personnel on the back end was suboptimal. But but Corey Undlin coming in here a year ago, I expected to see different results than I saw from that secondary, but I think that this defense overall, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, Teron, this defense overall, from a personnel standpoint, is much better suited to play the 4-3. And by getting pressure out, getting pressure on the quarterback, it's only going to help the back end. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to help the back end. And, and you're right. We're not here to make him out to be Bill Belichick or, right. or you, you know, uh, Jack Del Rio or somebody. This guy, is he's made an impression on me. As a coach that understands what's going on. And it's not just you. It's his players. Last year and this year that have raved about him. More importantly, it's the players. (laughs) Right? So it's really just going to be upon him to continue what he's done already. And and that could obviously lead to uh, the next move as a defensive coordinator or a head coach. And, hey, I mean, who knows what the future holds. Bottom line, he's a solid coach. And we'll see. I'm excited to see what more he could bring to the team. I, I agree. And and, and in very similarly to Deuce Staley, when I'm in that, in the locker room as a, as a reporter and a member of the media, there is no coach in that room interacting with the players more than Corey Undlin, whether mm-hmm. it was during rookie camp, whether it was during the OTAs, whether it was during minicamp, even dating back to last year, the one coach who's in there rubbing elbows with his players, and it's not just about rubbing elbows, and that's rarely what it seems to be about, but it's about coming up to an Eric Rowe and going into his locker with a play chart and diagramming things for him right then and there, almost giving him extra help, extra attention, whether it's Eric Rowe, whether it's anybody on that defensive backfield, that they're spending the time with Undlin in the locker room. It, that, that impresses me, that, that yeah. he's not afraid to do that in front of the other players and that he's using that time where, hey, they, they could be chatting with their significant others on the phone, they could be eating lunch, whatever it is is using that extra time to get some extra teaching in, that says a lot to me about him as a coach. It's buying in. It's buying into what it takes to be successful. Yep. And, I mean, as the saying goes, to do things that others don't, you have to do things that others won't. Sure. And not every coaching staff is walking throughout the locker room, communicating with players and taking opportunities. Outside of Deuce and Undlin a year ago, I, I can't remember any assistant 
or position coach in the locker room at all, certainly not Chip Kelly. Hmm. And we've heard Doug Peterson say that he likes to take a stroll through there just to keep that relationship up. And that that that, that is a significant departure from the way things operated the last three years. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, it, I, I couldn't imagine working with somebody that yeah. didn't talk to me. Yeah, You know, hey, look, we, we crossed paths in the hallway. Say what's up, man. Right. And, you know, and you start to develop uh, – Resentment, almost. Yeah, you don't yeah. like that. So, hey, I guess we'll see how that works on the on the West Coast. Oh, it's going to be fun it to definitely watch, didn't man. work here. <laughs> so, just moving on in the defense, you know, we we looked at Coach Stoutland, who yep. had a series of, of uh, excellence at Alabama. Let's look at the coach on the opposite side in the trenches, who also did a lot with Mississippi State, USC. Yep. And you have to mention Mississippi State because while he was there, he stumbled upon a young fellow who just so happened to sign a record-breaking contract a couple weeks ago. That man would be Fletcher Cox. Yes, sir. And he is credited with helping develop him. And you look at what he did with Leonard Williams as well. This is a guy that that will definitely come in and help this defensive line. I I think that they did a good job of of complimenting his defensive line staff with – Philip Daniels as well. What are your thoughts on Chris Wilson? Well, Chris Wilson, when you look at the resume and you look at how he's been around the league, he was on the Arizona staff in 97. Before that, 1995, he was a minority coaching intern with the Dallas Cowboys. And that jumps out to me, Teron, because that's Jimmy Johnson. And, and that's that's a Super Bowl winning football team that he was in the building for. Not necessarily, he was certainly just getting his feet wet in the profession at that time. But I look at a guy like Chris Wilson as a position coach. Where, where did you cut your teeth? And you cut your teeth with Jimmy Johnson and the Dallas Cowboys. You look at the fact that he had a very successful career, as you said, at Mississippi State developing Fletcher Cox, but went on to have a a modicum of success at USC for a couple of seasons at the college ranks as well. And I think that all of that put together, it almost makes me wonder, how did the Eagles wind up getting Chris Wilson on this staff? Yeah, I really don't know how they wound up getting him. You look at his previous experience at at Missouri as well. Now, I, I tell you this much, man, those at Missouri, they breed defensive linemen. They you yeah. look at you look yeah. at the guys whether it be outside rushers or defensive linemen. They've Coney Ely, Shane Ray, uh, my man in Arizona. Names you're talking to my first mind. and second round picks. Yeah, these out are the first wazoo. and second round guys. You know, so just having that connection also is very important. I think the Eagles went to him. I mean, this is a a, a very it's it's a really good opportunity for him. I mean, he's coming back into the league, but now as as an actual coach, not an intern or anything like that. And his previous experience with Fletcher Cox is obviously going to help. Huge. His ability to work with the guys along the interior defensive line as well as work on the guys out the side, out, outside, but most importantly inside. You look at that's where he's had a success with Leonard Williams and Cox. Yep. And obviously you're building this defense around Fletcher Cox, so so you're going to make it a point to get the assistant exactly. here that helped exactly. teach Fletcher Cox the game when he was at Mississippi State. And then you go Philip Daniels, who's the assistant defensive line coach. It's just another player on this staff, Teron, who's a former NFL player, played it with the Seattle Seahawks from 96 to 99, played for the Chicago Bears, and he had a six- or seven-year run with the Washington Redskins as a defensive end. So it's another player that the guys in that locker room can relate to. I watched Coach Daniel at um, Maryland's Pro Day, and the workout he put Yannick Ngakwe through 
and, and Jefferson, their other defensive uh, tackle. Man, look, he he definitely has it right, and I really like how he's working with them on on the hand to hand combat. You know, getting that hand position and, and wiping your chest plate clean. He's going to come in and help these guys again. Having been there, done that, he could give these guys different tips and nuances that he was able to acquire through the years that he played. So 100% having played the position will help. In this case also, I think the Eagles have put together a really good coaching staff just from the experience side of things. I agree. I think it's a very well-rounded staff. I think it's a very strong support system for Doug Peterson. And let's be honest to Ron here. We don't know what Doug Peterson is going to develop into as a head coach. We, we have no real prior experience because it's his first go-round mm-hmm. as an NFL head coach. But what I really like is that the Eagles went out. They brought in Frank Reich, who's very experienced both as a player and a coordinator. You went out, you brought in Jim Schwartz, who very renowned top 10 defense type of a factory coordinator with a, a head coaching record on his resume with the Detroit Lions there's experience there and the position coaches have by and large played the same position in the NFL or as you pointed out high at the college level as the same position that they're coaching here with the Eagles and that sort of experience is going to be an asset now where would you rank this staff in the NFC East because it's it's very interesting to me that the Eagles are going through changes the the Giants are going through changes, albeit familiarly, with bringing in Ben McAdoo. Same coaching staff down there in Washington, and Jason Garrett is still roaming the sidelines in Dallas. But this Eagle staff is intriguing when you compare it to the rest of the division. It's very intriguing. I, I will put them right there with, with any of the coaching staff in the division, to be honest with you. Uh, I would surely put them ahead of the Giants coaching staff. I, I think the Cowboys, when you look at Coach Rod Marinelli, he's such a a legend among the players. Yeah. He's a guy that you talk about being able to pull the best out of players. Yeah. That's what he does everywhere that he's going. So, I mean, I think this staff is, is very complete. I, the whole thing with, with Jim Schwartz being the alpha that he is. Big time. I, I really, I can't, I want to see how that whole thing develops. I see a little bit of Jim Johnson in him, to be honest. The way that he handles the media, the way that he's not afraid to get after his players mm-hmm. on the practice field. Certainly a, a, a vastly different philosophy than right, Jim Johnson. Right. He's not a guy that likes to blitz. He only blitzes when he's the one dictating the pressure, not when it's third and, and seven and he can't get a pass rush. He'd prefer not to blitz, but just from a mentality, that alpha dog and the ability to get that energy out out of your players, I see a lot of Jim Johnson and Jim Schwartz. That's hey, look, if you're going to compare somebody to Jim Johnson, that's high speaking. So, uh, I mean, it, that's that's a, a good comparison. I mean, the energy that he brings, it it's it's great, man. Yep. Guys feed off. I, I cannot tell you how much guys feed off of energy, man. You, you and and even here in the show, we feed off each other. Sure, energy. It, it energy is so contagious. But the thing is, it's contagious on a positive side and on a negative side. And that was something that I learned from from Coach Harbaugh in those two years that I covered the Ravens, man. He always made sure that guys you know, held their head high, always made sure that guys were upbeat no matter what situation. And watching them let, last year, if they could fight through that situation, they could probably fight through any situation. So that being said, you can never, ever underestimate the importance of bringing positive energy to 
any type of human interaction. And that's what you get with guys like Coach Unlin. That's what you get with guys like, like Jim Schwartz, obviously. What you get with guys like Greg Lewis. You know, these are three guys that I've noticed that have always had that positive. Deuce Staley. They have that positive energy at every practice that I've been to. You know, they're talking yep. trash with the players. Yep. You know, they'll pull them aside. And that's another thing. You have to know how every person is different. So you have to know how to coach each guy. There are some that you will see get blasted out in front of others. But there's others you say, hey, come here, come here, come here. And put your arm around them and, and talk to them then. So these guys have to continue to understand the different ways to coach. But from what I've seen so far, I think they're on a good track. And what are your first impressions of Doug Peterson? Because he's obviously come out and said that they're going to hit in training camp, which is hearkening back to Andy Reid's legendarily physically demanding and tough, brutal, hot summer training camps where you're hitting and you're going live. You look at Doug Peterson, never been a head coach before. You look at Doug Peterson, obviously a a guy that understands the quarterback position, going to have to delegate going to have to delegate to his coordinators, I think, at least as a rookie. And that's where the Eagles did him a lot of favors. And the front office, I think, has built one of the bigger assets for this program is this staff that we've spent today talking about. You want to know a, a, a fast way to get close to somebody? Get dropped in the foxhole with them. Yeah. You struggle together. You cry together. You bleed together. You get tired together. You're going to get closer. That's why – this camp, if it's going to be as difficult as he's leading on to, that's nothing but good for these guys. They're going to fight. You're going to see fights. I guarantee you're going to see fights. Because when you're hitting and when you have that energy coming, hey, look, that's something that comes along with it. And they didn't hit under Chip Kelly. They they they, they wore pads, but they barely had thud drills during mm-hmm. training camp because it was all about his philosophy, Chip Kelly's, was why am I going to unnecessarily risk injury during training camp from contact? But then you have Ja'Cory Shepard tearing ACL, and, and you're going to get non-contact injuries. His first camp, Jeremy Macklin goes down on the first day, tears an ACL. Yeah. So there is no right or wrong philosophy, but the negative of what Chip Kelly did conduct in camp is this defense was not fundamentally sound in terms of tackling. There's so many missed tackles you lost count over the last two to three years. I don't think that'll be the case this year. And I think that already just walking around, getting a feel for these players, getting a vibe from the players on this defense, it's already a nastier, angrier, meaner defense that I think is only going to be supplemented by how this camp is going to unfold in August. I think it's no coincidence that the team – that struggled to tackle <laughs> didn't, didn't hit. tackle. Yeah. I mean, look, you tackling is 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 definitely technique. It's but an attitude it's, thing too. It's a want to. Yeah, you have to, you have you have to want to tackle. I mean, a guy like Jalen Mills comes up and 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 Derrick Henry is running at you. Hey, man, Derrick Henry's a big guy. You have to want to tackle him. Yep. If you don't want to tackle him, you're going to do what Deion Sanders used to do and make a business decision. Right. And it all comes down to just your attitude, your mentality. You have to have that dog in you, and that's something that you, you can cultivate and develop from actually going through live contact in camp, in practice. There's only so many times that they are going to be allowed to do it yep. because of the CBA, sure. but it looks like Peterson is going to take full advantage and maximize those opportunities that they can hit. Absolutely, and while there's a lot of unknowns about this staff, while there's certainly – more than enough unknowns about Doug Peterson. I'll leave you with this anecdote, Teron. 
talking to Brandon Graham a couple of different times this spring, two things that he said that really jumped out to me. Number one, it's getting back to Eagle football. Mm -hmm. It's getting back to playing Eagles football. And he was here for the tail end of the Andy Reid regime as a first-round pick in 2010 when the Eagles moved up to get him. So he remembers what that was like. And it's also the fact that he said that it feels like it's the old regime back, but only much younger. And I thought that was very interesting to get a player, a veteran player, a first-round pick player's perspective on this staff. Buy-in is so important. Yep. It is so important. You have to have your guys buying into the message that, that you're delivering, buying into, you, you know, the, the vibe that, that you're establishing. And if guys don't, you have what, hey, you reported it last year, you know. Yeah. You have guys that could play even though they're injured. They didn't want to play playing. for the head coach. Didn't want to play for the head coach. And the, the sports science methodology, which they're still using but to a lesser extent, uh, Chip Kelly lost that team. And I reported it the day before the Thanksgiving massacre against the Detroit Lions. The one thing that I don't believe Doug Peterson is at risk of doing is losing his team. Yeah. Chip Kelly lost that team last year. But, Teron, we're just about out of time for this week. And want a couple of house-cleaning notes. want to thank everybody for listening. If it's your first time listening to the show, welcome. Please follow us on Twitter at, at Beat the Press Podcast on Twitter. Right? We well, can follow us on Stitcher now. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. And please subscribe on iTunes. It's at Beat the Press Podcast. That's it. Appreciate, man. Just another week. Just sitting here talking shop, man. I can't wait to do it next week as well. And we're just going to keep motoring through this down season. And we're counting down one week at a time till training camp. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at T Davenport underscore NFL. I'm at Matt Lombardo 975. We'll be back with you this week and next week and the following week, getting you ready for training camp right here on the Beat the Press podcast. Another one in the book. Yeah.